Hey, welcome to this week's edition of the uh, 60 Helmets Kickstart podcast. And uh, I'm Don Maeta, joined by Michael Antonovich and uh, our friend Cameron McAdoo, who suddenly has a job, right? Tell us about that. Yeah, that's right. Um, I was after Vegas Supercross, I was kind of waiting around a little bit, you know, um, still riding and stuff, but I didn't have anything in the works or anything that really came together. So I was just staying ready and staying as ready as I could and um the week before Lakewood um I got a call from Tyler Keefe and mm-hmm. yeah kind of all came together pretty quick so be honest were you kind of waiting for someone on the Geico Honda team to get hurt like I mean you were hanging around the pits and no no not at all honestly I was more so like I was still riding their bike yeah <clears throat> and uh Christian and Craig and I trained together and mm-hmm. we were riding together and I was I was going to the races for one reason to be at the races just um i felt like if if i'm not going to be racing i should be there and learning mm-hmm. from the from the sidelines and doing anything i can to help them you know they were they were helping me a lot with letting me have a bike to ride and stuff during the weeks and and uh to help christian or anyone on the team so mm-hmm. that was that was more so that they they treated me really well so it was it was fun to just still be at the races it sounds like you were on the short list for a lot of teams. I heard like three different teams had you ready to go if they needed you. So that has to be a pretty big vote of confidence that other people have noticed you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I felt that um, I was kind of only one of the only people mm-hmm. at you know that had the Supercross season that I did that was in that position. You mm-hmm. know, not to be going outdoors and and it was it's not like it was anyone's fault. You know, um, Geico was full for outdoors and. Um, they definitely would have if they weren't full they would have they would have probably you mm-hmm. know kept me they but there was just nothing nothing available like obviously each team you fill your roster for the year it's there's not like hiring people for outdoors yeah you know? so hmm. um so when you got the call was it just like oh finally i mean what, what were the emotions associated with it yeah i mean i've been i've been talking to tk and stuff and but more so for 2020 and and um i knew that like i had heard that they didn't really have plans to to do a fill-in if someone were to get hurt there Mm -hmm. you know like i think it's there's a lot a lot of the teams it's kind of like outdoors it's say they've got a five rider roster like if they've got three guys they're fine Mm -hmm. and um i i know that they had that uh had wilson todd ride for a couple rounds and i think that was you know he was going to be headed back to australia or whatever but um yeah, it was it was cool to for them to reach out and and um, to kind of make that happen, and I was I was pretty stoked on it. Yeah, so I actually when he first called, it was uh, Wednesday before Thunder Valley, and and he just said, "Hey, I, I want you to ride our bike." So I was just super stoked on that. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, I want to show these guys what I can do on that bike, and then we we sat down at Thunder Valley and met, and it was kind of like, let's go racing. So. Going into those last few Supercross races where you knew time was running out at Geico for your deal, did that put more pressure on you, and did that make that Vegas result happen, or was that kind of everything coming together at the right time? Yeah, honestly, not really. Um, I felt like, obviously, there's there's a certain level of pressure at all times when mm-hmm. you're racing pro motocross and, and Supercross, but uh, yeah, I just felt that we kept working and working and getting my bike better. and. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, towards the end, it was like there was weeks off, but I knew that outdoors was approaching. Everyone was starting to get ready for outdoors. And, but at the same time, I was 
kind of starting to dabble into that because I knew like I need to be ready for Hangtown. Mm-hmm. Like, but at the same time, I was like, hey, this is my job. This is what they've hired me to do. I need to stay. You know, it was sometimes it was tough being the only guy up at the test tracks. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, it was getting hot and stuff like that. But I, you know, kept my focus on that and and just knew that it was that time. You know, it was time for me to get that result and it was like three weekends in a row i felt like i was just six six so i was like i need to get a top five you know i was like i would battle for i would battle with rj my teammate it seemed like like crazy so many times and and um so i was just i went into vegas i was really hoping to get a top five and the east west shootout too that would have been like that was you know pretty big and also i was in a three-way tie for fifth in points so that was those were kind of my two goals going into Vegas was I want to check a top five off my list and get a, you know, get um, top five points. So how did that feel then, Vegas? It was awesome. I mean, it was kind of, it all happened so fast. But, yeah, I got, got going in the main and got up there with, with Dylan. And then he kind of pulled the gap. And then I thought to myself, like, let's start catching him, you know. And, and you know, there was a moment where I had to think to myself, like, right now your your mindset's going to be what, is the difference whether you get second or sixth tonight so mm-hmm. um it was big for me it was huge huge for my confidence and it was just it was really big to to do that and on that night and um you know i feel like there's sometimes when in vegas maybe everyone's not really gunning for it so much but there were two championships like yeah. fully on the line you know those guys were having to still go for it like you know it wasn't when dylan was leading it wasn't like ac could just cruise around you know he was he was going for it so like i felt like everyone was still guns blazing in vegas and it was pretty much a perfect time for me to to perform hey how did oh go ahead no go ahead how did you end up uh you know we we went to nuevo to that beat down soundtrack with the abandoned boat how did you end up riding a 450 just to practice on uh mainly because i'm i mean obviously all the teams probably have the same type of deal like they'll have a stock 450 or a couple stock 450s mm-hmm. for guys to ride just to you know for whatever reason and and it ended up that they had that bike at the shop for christian mm-hmm. when his hand was hurt he was like going out in the hills and stuff just riding it and um 250 wise like obviously everything was for, accounted for engines yeah. and they don't have stock 250 stuff you, you know what i mean like yeah. so all the all the kit suspension and all the factory stuff and the parts that they had for 250s were were used so they were like you know were willing to let you you know use the 450 and they were still bringing my bike to the track we were it was still like basically each day was still like it was when i was on the team Mm -hmm. it was just more so that i was basically staying ready and staying fit and you know helping helping christian as much as i could at the same time Mm -hmm. you've been with them for a while i mean everybody knows about the whole moto concept concepts transfer over and everything like that so is it a little bittersweet to have to leave now or do you does everybody understand like hey this is what we have to do yeah for sure no honestly like when i called jeff and told him you know that i'm going racing outdoors like he was so stoked like Mm -hmm. they this is what they wanted for me that they they're such genuine people you know jeff ziggy and even dan and all, all the guys over there like they really really truly wanted me to have a ride and they're all like man you deserve to be in in a factory position Mm -hmm. and and even same goes for next year almost like they're like 
they were helping me. You know, they they have their pipeline is so full with they've got amateurs and stuff like that coming up to where they're not even in a position where they where they even it's not even possible for mm-hmm. them to do it. So mm-hmm. they they you know they're wanted the best for me. How okay? So you you just came to our offices, but you had to go to KTM first. Yeah, <clears throat> was that just ironing out some details contractually, or was it like just have meetings about? the bike or something yeah just a little bit of both um we haven't really got to sit down and go over everything yet um mm. i flew back here wednesday rode thursday friday rode today so tk and i just sat down kind of went over some things went over a, a plan for the next couple of weeks and stuff like mm-hmm. that and and uh so yeah just a little bit of everything that's good so you guys are talking about next year then yeah yeah for that's sure awesome. um that's we're working on that and that's where i want to be so so four race deal, or yeah. is it longer now? Um, well, for sure four races. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, if they have all five of their guys healthy at that point, then there's five spots. So, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, if if not, if they're in a position where they don't have all five guys, then we'll uh, continue to do the rest of outdoors. Will you stay out here that whole time just to like shake down everything with the team and learn, or will they ship you a bike back to wherever you want? No, I'm. Uh, it, I mean, I, I don't know if, if they would or not, I'm, mm. but I'm out here full-time regardless. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I kind of made the decision that right now where I'm at in my career, I just, this is where the best place for me. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think we're on mutual agreement that they, Tyler, and all the guys there think that it's the best thing for me, and same with myself. So I had plans to stay out in California anyway. I heard your roommates are, or your, your landlords are real dick. Oh no! He, no, he's actually really good. <laughs> he lives at Carson's house. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Yeah. So, so I now, deal with Scott, so it's a little yeah. bit easier. Well, you have to pay the kid. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, looking at your hands, they look pretty trashed. Um, have these been some rough couple weeks to get all this stuff going, or is that normal? Uh, yeah, my hands are basically always trashed like that. It seems like, but um, yeah, I've been riding, so that helped me. Like, that's honestly when you don't ride for like three or four weeks that's probably one of the worst things your mm-hmm. your hands Blister. are shot and your butt cheeks are shot yeah. like but yeah they've got a little few blisters from from last weeks and mm-hmm. actually really riding and you know for a purpose so mm-hmm. yeah yeah when you said you're riding you know you're riding the the bar 450 and stuff how hard do you actually ride that bike to quote unquote stay sharp like were you at race pace were you being conservative because you don't want to get hurt lose the opportunity to get a ride yeah no i mean it was i mean it was honestly it was stock it was set up um kind of like the suspension wise and stuff was set up for actually for christian when when his hand was hurt so it was pretty soft and i mean every day when i was at the track like when we're doing sprints i'm gonna try you know i'm gonna try my hardest but at the same time i knew that there was a certain level that i could bring that bike to Mm -hmm. and that was that was the level like i mean if it was gonna get really rough or whatever i mean I was still trying, mm-hmm. but inside my own means, you know, to, so you to stay knew, safe. You knew how hard you could push that bike safely. Yeah, exactly. Yep, exactly. And and it was good. Like it was, I think it was really good for me to ride a 450 and stuff. And kind of, I mean, it's huge for throttle control. There's there's so many benefits to things, mm-hmm. something like that, that you can take it two ways. You can either be like, oh, I, I need to be on a factory 250, or you can just be like, this is what I've got, and be you know be grateful for it and Mm -hmm. and um use it to learn you had gone to a i think the first all three races right to start the season yeah watching from the sidelines of 
the guys that are your competition where you're just like taking cues and picking up on what other people are doing maybe things that you hadn't been able to take advantage of in the past yeah for sure um as best as i could it's honestly at a national it's so hard to even see anything mm-hmm. like it's easier to watch <laughs> on tv but but honestly probably one of the biggest things for me was it simplified it so much mm-hmm. like you could sit there on the sidelines and, and you watch the two practices and you watch the two motos and stuff and like it can it so easily brings you back to being like it's just a dirt bike race yeah and it's just it's so much more it's easy to kind of get fed up in it and just it's like so so much and it's so gnarly and mm-hmm. whatever but it is it helps just look at it from a different perspective and be like man we're we're all just racing dirt bikes just like when we're out at paula on tuesday doing 30 plus twos mm-hmm. all the guys are out there that you're racing against you know so it's like so it, it, it did help it simplify things honestly mm-hmm. and to be able to bring that this saturday i feel like can help me mm-hmm. did you uh did you learn anything from watching like you know you got that you got that epiphany of sorts but did you watch techniques of some of your rivals and say oh I should try doing that more this more. Yeah, for sure. Um, honestly, one thing that stood out when I was able to watch at Fox Raceway was um, Hunter and Moto2, Hunter Lawrence. That was – I watched him pretty close, and the way he rode that track and the bike and everything, it was like he did it so Euro-style, and obviously that's where he was racing and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But um, I haven't really got the chance to – you don't get the chance to really watch anyone, and, but when you could watch him – ride with a guy like ac which is you know at the like ac's obviously he's won three in a row so mm-hmm. it's like he's really good comparison and ac's the best dude in the class right now you could say mm-hmm. and, and but then you watch hunter and the, what hunter was doing in that second moto it just seemed like he was hitting he, he was hitting water lanes it looked like because yeah. he was jumping over every bump and and he made the track look so much easier than any other guy kind of mm-hmm. and um I mean, AC still won the race, you know, but at the same time, it was just cool to kind of see the difference in that and, and be able to like kind of realize how much maybe energy you can save or, mm-hmm. you know, why, why hit all that bumps and when you can jump them or just yeah. little things like that. So yeah, it was, it was cool to pick up on just different stuff that even, even watching the 450 guys too, cause mm-hmm. when you're racing, you, you don't get to watch them. Um, you know because you're at the semi and yeah you can't you can't go watch the 450 class but um another one was ken at at the first moto at hunter valley Mm -hmm. and just how how easy he made the track look and instead of banking into stuff and and like he was just flowing everything Mm -hmm. so perfect and yeah he was just untouchable see guys like me and don and and other guys that go to the races all the time we talk about that like european american difference and we recognize but we kind of don't know if you guys do because everybody just sticks to that same thing mm-hmm. and hunter even explained that last week he's like yeah you can try to ride like an mxgp track but you have to still resort to the american lines because mm-hmm. that's how 99 percent of the class is going yeah so it's cool though that you guys can all pick up and choose on what other guys are doing and then maybe implement that in the future for yourself yeah he yeah. stands up a lot he stands up a lot yeah and yeah exactly carries a front wheel everywhere yeah and i mean there's obviously a little bit of a different riding style for each guy like mm-hmm. it, not everything works for everyone but if you can pick up on just a little few little things here and there i feel like there's there's always room to improve and learn who was the guy that you modeled your riding style after i have no clue it just <laughs> it just it just kind of happened. i just 
yeah <laughs> someone you know like that's like if someone asks like how do you throw a whip it's like I don't know, you know, like, I, it'd probably be, I'd probably be one of the worst trainers, like, or, or riding coaches, almost, because, like, I mean, I've never really done it, but it's, like, when someone asks you how you mm-hmm. do something, or, like, how are you doing this, like, I can tell them, you know, what gear I'm in, or if I'm standing this much, and, like, whatever, but it's so hard to explain how to do it, it, it just, it just yeah. happens, it comes yeah. naturally, you know? Yeah. You know, it's funny, is you, saying you picked up on Hunter's running style, I would say, you and he are opposite ends of the spectrum because you're like hyper aggro man sometimes. <laughs> and like, I, I want, there was a day at Milestone, you remember when you were there? Yeah. And I was like, McAdoo's the fastest guy in the world. Look mm-hmm. at him. Look at him just smash these corners mm-hmm. and stuff. And then Hunter was coming around just like, standing up. And running at the same time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so. And that's, that's like one thing I've, you know, kind of worked on even in the past couple of years. Like, still having the aggression that i have and stuff like that but mm-hmm. at the same time not being a bulldog and smashing into stuff and mm-hmm. and like there'll be times it actually we we dealt with it today we did it today and and uh, i did my moto and then i was doing like some three lappers and we were just kind of going over some stuff on hey just flow this and do that and i came back i'm like man i don't even feel like i'm like trying my hardest mm-hmm. anymore and my lap times were really, like a little bit better so it's uh, like it's it's tough you know is so it, it's, it's is it, yeah is it learning to, it's just a learning curve it is really it, is is it hard to snap out of race mode in the heat of the moment and mellow out to do something smoother faster yeah at times and it's not hard if if you're being conscious about it but it's easy to become unconscious of it so as long as you can just stay in, in check and in stuff so yeah i think it's that's just a part of learning yeah those first few days on the bike i mean i think everybody always asks like how is that transition but i've heard that you had it was a pretty easy deal like the steel frame to aluminum frame is always the big talking point but it sounds like it wasn't a big deal for you yeah i honestly i liked it i like the bike um it's got so many completely different characteristics than the honda did and um but i like a lot of that it was a completely different feeling bike it had it has completely different power delivery but Mm -hmm it's it's a good bike i'm really happy with it cool yeah well hey let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors but we'll be right back with cameron Mikado. <laughs> hey everyone it's cooper webb from the red bull ktm factory racing team summer is here and it's the perfect time to get to your local track and ride right now you can get up to fifteen hundred dollars in factory cash on select ktm sxf models This factory cash incentive can be used toward the purchase of a motorcycle or KTM power parts or power wear products. See your local KTM participating dealers or head to ktm.com-us for more details. In 2013, 6D Helmets forever changed the way we think about motorcycle safety helmets. With its patented omnidirectional suspension system to help absorb rotational impacts, The original ATR1 helmet swept through the industry and was received with open arms by riders and racers alike. The new 6D ATR2 and ATR2U are even better than the original and carry a limited three-year warranty and a unique technology that allows the helmet to be rebuilt after most crashes. Visit 6dhelmets.com for more info. Hi, this is 250 Supercross Champion Chase Sexton of the Geico Honda Team. To get the most performance out of your motocross bike, make sure you're using the Yoshimura exhaust systems. 
Visit Yosh at yoshbeard-rd.com to see their wide line of slip-ons and complete systems for your bike today. Now enjoy the Swap Moto Live Kickstart podcast. Hey, we're back from our uh, commercial break, but hey, when you were first on the Geico Honda team, the team had to deal with 6D helmets, correct? So you've worn one of those before. Yeah, and actually before, way before I was even on the Geico team, um, when the helmets came out, it was like kind of a no-brainer. My Both my parents were like, I don't care what you say, this is what you're wearing. <laughs> so actually, like a year after they released the helmet, I wore 6D all the way until... Um, yeah, Geico switched to... Yeah. So were you on a mini bike then? Uh, I was on 125s, I want to say. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think a lot of the 6D purchases are parent mm-hmm. chosen, right? Like, God, you're wearing this no matter yeah, this what. Is what we're got. This is what we're getting. Yeah. yeah. So you have a uh, like a different route up to the pro ranks than some guys do. Uh, and we've discussed that a little bit in the past. But do you think that that's been a refreshing thing, that you weren't in this like amateur pipeline for your entire life? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think it, it helped me in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, I mean, up until 2014, 15, mm. I rode six, five, six months a year if I was lucky, and mm. and we'd be stoked to just on Christmas break, my dad and mom would take my sister and I down to Oklahoma or something to go on a riding trip. Mm. So, like, that was kind of growing up. And we did Loretta's, you know, each year, probably starting when I was on 65s. But I would go there and get... 25th place maybe mm-hmm. you know and it was more of fun and i mean my parents spent so much money doing it but at the same time they didn't spend all this money like oh, our kids are going to do this for a living it was more like they they loved the atmosphere of it they loved that it kept us out of trouble like mm-hmm. you know there were so many different things and we made so many family memories growing up doing it that even when i did decide or when my parents decided to let me uh, moved down south to South Carolina and mm. I was homeschooled my last year of high school so I was pretty much done anyway but um, they were they had always said that you know we're going to give you until you're 18 and we'll fully support it financially but if if it doesn't work out like mm. you don't owe us anything we did this because we wanted to and mm. it you know it, it's it was awesome growing up and that's basically where all of our memories came from was racing what made you decide like I have to take this seriously now. This is what I want to do. Like, what was that aha moment? Uh, I don't know. It was kind of weird. Like, there was one winter when um, my dad finally agreed to, like, go halves on a road bike with me. Like a training bike? Uh, like a, yeah, a road bicycle. <laughs> and he used to actually be, like, a, a Category 2 cyclist. So oh, okay. he was all into it. And so we went down to the bike shop and got a bike, and I got rollers. And mm-hmm. every night after school, I'd get home, and I was just a chubby kid in high school. Like, whatever, you know I mean? And uh, I'd go down and I'd do like an hour, an hour and a half. And it just, I don't even, I didn't even have plans to, you know, go pro or, or even go to a training facility or whatever. And it was one night I was on downstairs on my rollers and my mom came down and was like, hey, um, at the end of this school year, pick a, you're going to have to, you know, talk to your dad and stuff and pick a training facility that you want to go to. Mm-hmm. And I was like what so i called my dad the next day because like my dad was kind of always a little bit for it way more than my mom my mom was like you're going to school you know like so on and so forth and and he's like no way and i'm like yeah like mom said she's in if if you are and he's like i'm in and so um the last day of school that year of my junior year um i left and drove down to club mx in south carolina and, mm-hmm. and um 
we had one year you know we did a one-year contract there and, mm-hmm. and uh i just i hit the ground running from then and basically kind of told myself and everyone else like if if it doesn't work out i'm never ever gonna look back and be like oh i wish i would have done this or that mm-hmm. like i i just went fully in and and hit the ground running as much as i could mm-hmm. that's kind of a, a eastern thing huh? or is yeah it, it's not as common in california like you know out here there's like 15 different trainers at a track and they're running across the track and yep. making kids cut the track and redo a section but i mean that's more common back east for mm-hmm. like someone who's serious about it they go to a facility yeah yeah and that was i mean i'm from iowa so i'm from like the dead center but yeah. um it was kind of like you know club mx mtf south of border those were like a few of the the places we were looking at mm-hmm. when we looked into doing it and um yeah we chose club mx and it it worked out okay so like you said you only could ride like five or six months out of the year but knowing like being a midwest kid that would like january february would hit and you just wanted to ride what was like the most over the top winter riding setup you had i had like these big coveralls (laughs) and then like a baklava oh and then like triple thick gloves and stuff like that and my fingers would still go oh for sure actually one christmas my parents got my sister and i won tens uh-huh and my sister wasn't as much she was more like kind of like chill yeah whatever you know Mm -hmm. but i would go out in a foot of snow and just shred my 110 in the yard and like until the i remember my rear like the whole rear wheel icing over back then and it wouldn't move so i like had to go in the garage my dad was down in the garage i'm like dad my my 110 stuck in the middle of the yard Mm -hmm. he's like yeah (laughs) so stuff like that and and actually i had an 85 that uh we studded a tire on Mm -hmm. just to ride in the frozen just and it was all just for fun you know yeah. it wasn't like i was out there training in it or anything mm-hmm. i was just i wanted to ride my dirt bike so bad mm-hmm. and so yeah like talk my dad into studying a tire for an 85 did you ever do any like frozen lake racing i never racing? did i never did they had like uh lake okoboji that's near us they oh. did some ice racing and stuff but no we, we never got that far into it like we would just go to missouri or something you know mm-hmm. the worst was when you would ride like on a cold day and the ground is frozen but there's no snow and then you just whack it Ugh. like you might as well jump out of your car yeah it yeah. hurts so bad to hit yeah. on frozen ground especially when it's all clotted up yeah and you're like you're guaranteed to wash out at least once when oh, it's yeah. frozen like you're not gonna stay on two wheels the whole time and yeah like mm-hmm. right on the hip you know just can't walk yeah, yeah. no yeah it's for sure yeah because my mom would like hear me just freaking out she's like yeah you could just not ride yeah. yeah, but that's not the option. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> hey, so you studied your rear tire, but not the front. It seems like the front would be just as important. No, I think we studied a set. Instead of both. Yeah, I think we studied a set because, like, I was riding in like, like actually, like it was like ice on the ground. Yeah. Like, yeah, I we had to have studied both for sure. Yeah, pretty sure. Uh, we have did. you ridden on stud tires, Twan? Mm-mm. No, we were. Uh, we would just ride and ride and ride, but we don't get as much snow as they got. Mm-hmm. Like they get way, way more snow than we do because they're like nine hours north, I think. Yeah. But you and I probably rode at a lot of the same tracks. Like, did you ever come down to Archview in St. Louis or places like that? No. Um, Cahoka. Nope. Really, you didn't even come that far down. Uh. Uh-uh. Okay. Stay we would. We would be like. Yeah. We would do kind of like the Missouri Oklahoma. Oh, to the western side. Yeah, yeah. a little bit. Like, That's how you met yeah. Crutcher. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I actually met Crutcher like. Kind of later on, I met Crutcher at uh, an area qualifier at Bar to Bar mm-hmm. in Kansas. Yeah, mm-hmm. so. yeah. It's funny that I'm seeing like all these tracks pop up back in the Midwest now, and I'm like, oh, that's good because there for a while it just died. Like yeah. AMA racing died for it a little did. bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of right in my like 
middle years a mm-hmm. little bit honestly when i was a kid i remember going to the track and there was 20 guys in each class mm-hmm. and then it got to the point when there was four yeah maybe you know yeah so hey who did you uh who was like at your age and experience level at club mx alongside you and how did they compare it changed so much like when i first went um it was people you probably never heard of mm-hmm. um but then like my second year i was kind of well actually like towards the end of my first year about six eight months into being there i was i would battle with guys like darian sinai mm-hmm. um marshall welton um nicoletti was there mm-hmm. uh McElrath was in and out a little bit but mm-hmm. not a whole lot he was already kind of out in california um osborne was there for like my first year mm-hmm. and um but he was a lot faster than me <laughs> um and then, uh, yeah, just, yeah, that's kind of, the, the two guys that kind of stand up out are Darian and Marshall. Mm-hmm. They were both A-class when I was, too. But they were kind of, like, at the level where Darian was, like, Team Green and stuff, mm-hmm. like, going to the red is, like, ready to win. And I was, like, hoping for top ten at that point, you know. Mm-hmm. And then um, Darian, I was still A-class, and Darian signed his deal for MXGP. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Marshall kind of, dabbed into some supercross stuff like the year before i turned pro um i think like when barsha helped him out a little bit and stuff Mm -hmm. and then he ended up going to europe too so but those were kind of the guys that stick out most that i battled with Mm -hmm. yeah what uh what led tony alessi to taking notice of you honestly i think it it was when michael alessi moved on a club to to train for supercross and he called Tony and was like, hey, there's this kid here that, that like, I can't even shake him on outdoor track. Like, mm-hmm. he's fast. And I would never even ridden Supercross. And I got a call from it, Tony, and it was before the Daytona Amateur deal. Um, and he said, hey, do you want to uh, pit under our semi at Daytona? We'll give you free tires. Like, we'll, we'll supply you tires, graphics, plastics, and a mechanic. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no-brainer. Like, absolutely because it was going to be my mom and i in the back of my van driving mm-hmm. down so i'm like first off I'm like 400 dollars for the tires you know yeah. like no brainer and, you know, and then New i don't have to yeah <laughs> and, and and i've got a guy working like on my bike like i was i was on cloud nine you know mm-hmm. and actually when i went to daytona that year the only thing i at that point i had gotten for free was 100 percent goggles really yep from kuzo and, and that started at minio's the prior year josh osby got a hold of him like dude hook this kid up with some goggles at minios like he's gonna be solid and I, actually that year at minios i kind of i ended up battling with like taft and forkner and mm-hmm. those guys and then went to daytona and that was kind of where i i would say broke out mm-hmm. with and that was when i i just brought my bikes there and and paid it with Moto concepts and it was the coolest thing ever mm-hmm. yeah so were the uh the justin brayton gifted tech tens did that come after daytona then I think so. I think those were <clears throat> before Loretta's that year. He was um, he was riding for BTO, mm-hmm. and I I lived with Duff, or Duff lived in in our house to get so we, we were roommates and and uh, like a couple weeks before Loretta's or something, I went downstairs and Duff had just flown home because he was his race mechanic at the time from the national and and there was new Tech Tens and I was like so stoked. Yeah, it was it was huge because like yeah I would. I mean, there was times I would wash people. I would wash Phil's bikes for a mm-hmm. set of goggles or whatever, you know. Really? Yeah, just because like that stuff was 
sick to me mm-hmm. you know and or tear-offs and like you, people wouldn't really realize the things that add up oh, yeah. when you're yeah. training and riding every day on sand tracks like just chains and sprockets and like i would make parts orders to our um local dealership mm-hmm. and like it was kind of set up to where that i would just order like i didn't have to go through my dad or anything you know mm-hmm. but but he was paying for it at the time and and like i would just feel so bad because like i was just making parts orders of stuff that's just like you would never just clutches chain sliders chain sprockets mm-hmm. and it was like twenty five hundred dollars and i'm just like man like i felt so bad you mm-hmm. know but yeah i mean it was kind of off i that i think that's part of the reason what made me work as hard as i possibly mm-hmm. could no matter what like it didn't matter because i could never really imagine like spending that much of my parents money and, and how hard they work for it mm-hmm. just to kind of like if there was ever like i was like i'll never leave a stone unturned because it's yeah i couldn't couldn't imagine feeling mm-hmm. that way so that was that was big help of it i think yeah. The whole time that you're at club and you have all of these guys of like really high caliber talent around you, are you like prodding them for information or are you like afraid or intimidated by them? No, I I did honestly like I I got along really well with like Nicoletti and and even Osborne before mm-hmm. he took off and all the guys. Um, I think they kind of gained a little bit of a liking because like just down to like little stuff like bicycle rides and stuff. Like I was unfit and I would just go until till there was just no more you know Mm -hmm. like i no matter what and then the next morning i'd be dead but i'd still go out and do the motos like so it kind of i kind of gained a they kind of had a respect for me for that i think Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and it made them want to help me like you know phil he would help me a lot with just little things like tear-offs goggles and old used boots you know Mm -hmm. that were bad for him like they were awesome you know Mm -hmm. so little stuff like that and they you know kind of when you're living somewhere like that everyone kind of comes together and it was and it kind of all translated like even the last year or two years when i was with geico like you know if i saw kids that i felt that you know deserved a little bit of help yeah like i would you know just little stuff here and there just Mm -hmm. because like i felt the same way and you know if i see a kid that's putting it all of his effort in and, and stuff like that and could use some help I, I would do as much as i could just mm-hmm. because what what it meant to me when it when they did that for me when mm-hmm. i was in need it was it was huge mm-hmm. anton know oh, you think this is sick like there's so many kids that come up you know from wealthy families or, and, or they're so entitled yeah and to have a guy like cameron in here mm-hmm. who's just so grateful for everything it's like such a refreshing change sometimes. yeah and it's cool too because like he wasn't handed everything yeah. like there's some of these kids that get 16 years old and they're jaded they don't even want to go pro and at this point like you wanted to do it so bad and then you've gotten to do all of these other experiences that you'll figure out later on like racing in geneva doing straight rhythm at the last minute like all of these little things that have come together that are going to make these huge memories too other than just logging laps yeah for sure and um that's like i i, I can't explain it enough or I, like we're not entitled to anything you mm-hmm. know as any racers and and I, I mean, yeah, there is, you know, when you're at a certain level, like you, you're the guy. So like, that's your ride, that's your spot. And, you know, there's a, I feel like there's a balance of like feeling like you, you're entitled to it or feeling like you deserve it, you know, like, mm-hmm. Hey, I've done the work. I'm, I'm the best guy. Like, you know, Kenny or Tomac, those guys, like they deserve the, what they're getting. Mm-hmm. And, but, um, 
I do see a lot of racers feeling like, or even just in general, like there's young kids who feel entitled or, or they're at the track and they're like, I was faster than such and such. And he has a factory ride. Like even as amateurs, it was, Mm -hmm. that was the big thing. Like, or, you know, there was other kids at, at club that were training that had rides on teams and stuff like that. And I would every day beat them, beat them, go to the races, beat them. And there's all, all these people in your ear saying, man, like, you're beating those guys and they have a deal blah 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 and, but I'm not entitled to that deal they, yeah. they got it they earned it in, in a way some way they earned that and I haven't yet so like I'm gonna do whatever I can to earn that but um, yeah just even even down to like you know what mechanics will do for you and what uh, what our mechanics really do do for us like I it's so big for me like I, I really appreciate it when they go the extra mile or if my mechanic washes my boots it's like dang thank you like mm-hmm. you don't have to do that because i've i've done it all so mm-hmm. it it does help me have another appreciation for the for every little thing that that a team offers did you do all your own bike work at club oh yeah yeah up until um up until i signed with geico mm-hmm. and then no actually the, when I was going racing Supercross in 2017, just before, basically just after Monster Cup, probably like November time, mm-hmm. up until the Supercross season, um, MCR had a mechanic at club. He was actually my race mechanic as well, Nick okay. McCampbell, and he did Alessi and I's practice. Oh, okay, okay. So that was like, when I found out that I was going to get a practice mechanic at club <laughs> before that season, it, it was like, life, right? oh, it did. It, it was like, I didn't even know what to do with myself at night. Like, Free you time. know? Yeah. And then I, I could go to sleep. And then the whole time I was with Geico, um, Brent Duffy did all my practice stuff, mm-hmm. except for when, when they would go to Australia, uh, Justin and they, they would go for two months, you know? Mm-hmm. And that would be kind of the time where I'd be coming back from after outdoors, mm-hmm. starting my off season and stuff. And so Brent would like frame my bike put a new engine and new suspension in it and stuff like that and have it ready for me and then I would take care of it for that on but I had enough experience for them the past three years or so mm-hmm. of doing all my stuff that it, it wasn't it's not that bad mm-hmm. so how extensive are your mechanical skills I mean I framed a bike like, like how about engine uh, I won't go into an engine yeah. no yeah uh-uh. like I've never gone into an engine I've done engine swaps and stuff yeah. like that and when I the first time I did an engine swap on a Geico bike, I was like, because there's obviously like different not not only not only torque specs, but there's like there's a way they want you sequence, you know, yeah, torque yeah. sequence, and it was kind of funny. I, I had a just a weird issue my very first day back, and Brent had just fl- flown to Australia, but he put he had me all dialed in, brand new engine and everything. I was like, sweet. Day one, I had this something weird happened and i called my mechanic and he's like it'd just be best if you just uh put your spare engine in and ship that one back and i'm like day one engine swap but it took me like six hours because i'm like just doing everything trying to do everything perfect i do not want to bolt the ball off this bike you know but yeah that's the that's the fun stuff that kind of you can go back on and like remember yeah Yeah, he's probably the most like you've probably asked kibby questions that no other racer has ever asked yeah, like even hanging out at the shop and stuff, like I'll like talk to the mechanics on like how they do that or this and like I can kind of appreciate it and say, yeah. dang, that's pretty cool how they do that, you know, like the little things that a factory mechanic does to a bike, it's a lot easier for me to be like and realize how cool it is. Like I feel like a lot of times like in the public eye, 
the only people that really see that like that stuff is each other like mm-hmm. they look at each other's bikes kind of like oh yeah. dang he did yeah. like he does this with this routing of something you know yeah. what i mean just crazy little stuff that that they take like huge pride in where no one would even have a clue what mm-hmm. it is you know but like they do when they're sitting in the in the staging area you know so that, there's that's, always that's cool. i like the, yeah uh, i like when they get in instagram battles on who has the shiniest bolts or the yeah oh yeah did you tumble them did you yeah. hand polish them yeah oh they hand they they'll put every single titanium bolt in a drill and polish that thing yeah. it's okay. cool hey what year uh did you finish school um so of? i would have been class of 2014 14 so I believe so there's some like it's kind of it's ridiculous I can't remember this no I'd have been class of 2016 16. class of 2016 okay so yeah. you've got some peers that you went to school with that are like probably still in college and you probably got some friends that are just working at 7-Eleven or something right now so like mm-hmm. you are chasing your dreams racing at the pinnacle of your sport how does that make you feel when you like reconnect with some of your old childhood friends? Yeah, I uh, I stay close to. There's a few kids, er, friends from back home who I've obviously stayed close to, but most of my friends growing up were racing friends. Where mm-hmm. I, I didn't, you know, like I've never been to a high school dance. I I never did any a lot of the social stuff in high school. So mm-hmm. um, I had a lot of friends at school and stuff, but it didn't go anything beyond school. It was just we were friends at school, whatever. Mm-hmm. But. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I grew up in Sioux City, Iowa, which it's not its not a small town. It's a city, but it's not enormous, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not, like, the size of Des Moines or anything like that. But, um, yeah, so it was kind of like, oh, he just, yeah, that kid rides dirt bikes. You know, that's kind of how I was known at school. And, and, yeah, I had friends, but most of my friends that I'm still close with were due to racing and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But now when I go home, it's kind of different. It's, it's funny because, like, there'll be kids in high school from when I went to high school with, I'll see them, and I, they didn't have any clue who I was when I was in high school. Like, I was just kind of whatever, but they're like, oh, like, he races, like, pro dirt bikes now. Like, and, like, yeah. it was kind of a, it was always just, oh, that kid rides dirt bikes, you know, but mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's different, but, yeah, it's, most of my friends are from, from riding, and, and I, I've stayed close to them, you know, yeah. a lot of them, and it's fun to go home and hang out and mm-hmm. maybe go ride one of their bikes or something. So, so what are you, 23? I'm 21. Oh, you're that young. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So then I was gonna say because 21, yeah, that's about the time everybody's gonna like start wrapping up college and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. To. I've got friends who have full time jobs. I've got friends who are having kids, and it's kind of like the whole spectrum because you know, growing racing and stuff. I kind of always hung out with guys that were like three or four years older mm-hmm. than me, and so like I've got a lot of friends who are having starting to start families and stuff like that. So it's it's cool to kind of see which route everyone's gone and mm-hmm. and we've all kind of yeah in high school you never know you, you have no clue you mm-hmm. know so it's it's kind of it's fun to to see that and see all my fr- the, i have a lot of friends who are doing super well too mm-hmm. and just other things and so yeah is it sometimes crazy to think that a dirt bike has allowed you to go different places around the world that like most people don't get to go yeah it is in this off season it was probably the biggest part of that was um you know i started by flying out here to do straight rhythm with mathis and then Mm -hmm. that just i it was like weekend after weekend another opportunity kind of popped Mm -hmm. up i went to australia i went to paris i went to geneva 
and like even going to Geneva and stuff like I didn't get to experience Geneva you know I flew in and we went straight nobody from does. the airport is like yeah, it's right it's, next to yeah, right? literally worry. you go like I maybe covered a total of like two square miles mm-hmm. but it's just cool because I, I flew to Geneva I went there yeah. the fans like the show and stuff like that it was cool to be able to soak that in and and Australia I did get to I started in Melbourne I was there for two weeks I went to Sydney um Britain I explored Sydney after like the day after um Ozix Open so like it is cool to be able to say like hey I, I was I got to go to all these places and I was getting paid to do it like that's there's mm-hmm. I, I feel like there's a lot of I've got friends who haven't made it further than Kansas and like mm-hmm. it's kind of you got to put it in this perspective when like you got friends who are like they're planning this whole trip to go down to Kansas City for the weekend yeah. in, in like two months and I'm like like we'll randomly be like oh like you know last weekend I was like oh yeah I'll go to Lakewood you yeah. know and, and went to Lakewood and I, I just fly all over the place and yeah. it's kind of it's it's cool but it's also you know it's part of what we do it's it's part of our life I think that that's something that you and I relate to a lot because like for him, he's been in California his whole life, but like Midwest kids, they don't really leave that much, and that's nothing against them. But no, like, for sure, like, they just don't leave. They yeah. go to Gulf Shores every year. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty much it. And yeah. yeah, like it's funny. There's a lot of people who they'll go down to Kansas City or or St. Louis, and it's like they're going. They're so, pumped. Yeah, like they're they. You know, you're you're booking hotels like three months in advance. Yeah. Like I'm like, do you guys know you can do like it's week by week you can you that, drive but, there right yeah yeah exactly but no it's cool it's it's fun what's been the coolest place that you've gone australia mm-hmm. yeah australia was so cool um just like melbourne the weather was eh, kind of you know it mm-hmm. could be raining and sunny and five times in a day but when we went to sydney and stuff and um just the places and the food the people like everyone was so cool like that that was one thing that i really noticed like everyone is nice like it's not like if you wave at someone it's not like what's that guy want you know right and um i went to you know in europe and stuff it was a little bit different they're they're a lot more just not reserved like yeah aussie guys are just what's up dude like they're just so cool and chill and like in europe you're kind of like oh man i don't know if that guy likes me you know and you don't want to waitress at a restaurant almost and part of it's a language barrier yeah you know it is but um still at the same time you're kind of like man is she is, are we making this lady mad like a waitress you know but yeah so i think australia was probably the coolest place so far yeah cool well hey man uh i really appreciate you coming down to visit anton and i mm-hmm. at the new swap model live headquarters yeah but uh man i know that we're both going to be watching you this weekend at a uh, high point and, and rooting for the number 44 you know, you look real comfortable on the bike the other day, so I can imagine how good you are now. A few more days under your belt. Yeah, I'm stoked to go racing, and uh, thank you guys for thank you guys for having me out. No problem, dude. Thanks for coming by. Awesome. Thanks for listening.